0: This morning, we're into Acts chapter 13.
1: <clears throat> we're actually going to start or go from the last couple of verses of, verse, of chapter 12 and read through the beginning of 13. But to start with, we'll read from Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read through to verse 12 this morning and uh, learn from here. It says, now... In the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was bar who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, oh full of all deceit and all fraud you son of the devil you enemy of all unright of righteousness will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the lord now indeed the hand of the lord is upon you and you shall be blind not seeing the sun for a time and immediately a dark mist fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we do pray that you would enlighten us and encourage us and strengthen us through it. Open our eyes to see your work and our place in your work. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, often we look back on events and and things and we see the significance of that event in shaping what came after. Sometimes even the middle, even in the middle of the event, we'll recognize that this is, this is a moment that will change everything. Everything is going to be different from then. Sometimes we call them watershed moments or you know, turning points in our life. You know, those those moments, those events or those decisions, which can change the course of our life or change the course of nations or or, or businesses, whatever it may, may be. You know, often we remember where we were when that moment took place. You know, we, it was so important in shaping what happened, we can remember the details of how that, that went on. You know, we, we think of you know, Gallipoli. You know, Gallipoli is often said to be that time when Australia grew up. And it was a, a watershed moment, a turning point for Australia amongst the world, or, or 9-11, Most of us remember where we were or what happened on that day and how it changed the world from that point on. Right now, we're we're in the middle of a a pandemic in the world of COVID-19, which is one of those turning point moments. Nothing is going to be the same as it was now. Everything is going to be different in some way or another. Or maybe on more personal notes, we have these things. I, I remember a, a sermon from Romans chapter 10 changed my life. That was a watershed moment in my life, a turning point on those things. So we have these moments in our life where this is the point, this is that, that event, this is that, that time where, where things shifted and nothing could be the same afterwards. As we come here to Acts chapter 13, this is one of those moments for Christianity. This is one of those watershed moments, these turning points, these, these events, these times in the life of Christianity where nothing is the same after it, It changes everything. It forms a major division in, in Acts and the way that Luke sets it out and follows it through. It's, it's one of the major divisions here that he has because it is a major uh, moment, a major event in Christianity. These events, which we read here, change Christianity forever and make things different you are know, in the first part of acts the first 12 chapters of acts the focus is on jerusalem and the church in jerusalem from acts chapter 13 that focus changes from jerusalem and the focus is not so much there but now the focus shifts to antioch this church to the north this gentile church which began not so long ago uh, is now the focus we move from the focus being on peter as the leader and the the center of attention at the beginning of Acts to now it becoming Paul and Paul becomes the focus and the center of our attention in what takes place now and we even see that in the way that he's referred to here in verse 9 of chapter 13 is where we see the shift from him being referred to as Saul his Jewish name to Paul, his Greek name. So we're moving now, we're moving out of this uh, Jew-centered, Jerusalem-centered thing to the world, which is reflected even in the way Luke refers to Paul. The missionary William Carey, who was a missionary in in India, is uh, often cited as being the father of modern missions. He he woke up Christianity and, and a Christianity at that time, which had fallen asleep to the need of the world for the gospel. And he reinvigorated people's imaginations about what should be done and what could be done to reach the world with the gospel and and reshaped in many ways, how the modern Christian, at least at that time, could reach out into the world with the gospel. Uh, Carey's work, which saw the, the, the new missionary movement, is founded entirely on the work of the church at Antioch. This is where the church starts to take its mission seriously. This is where the church starts to take its mission deliberately. Previously, the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem has been an effect of things. So it spread from Jerusalem because of Stephen's persecution and, and martyrdom. And so it began to spread from persecution because people fled. It spread because as the people spread, it would develop. And then it spread into the Gentiles because a Gentile sought to know the gospel and called. So the spread of the gospel has in many ways been reactionary, an effect of what's been going on in the world. But when we come to Acts chapter 13, we see the gospel spreading to the world is no longer an effect of some other pressure. It's no longer the effect of persecution here, which spreads us there. It's no longer the effect of someone out there calling and saying, I want to know more, come to me. But now the church is saying, we're going. We are going to deliberately, intentionally, and purposefully take the gospel to the world. And that begins here in Antioch. This is a a major purpose as the church pursues the mission of God. It is a call to Christians to go and tell the gospel. It's a call to churches to send the gospel into the world. And that's what we want to look through this morning, is this idea that we need to go with the gospel. We begin, the first thought I have this morning is that the gospel will go forth. If we scoot back in our text a little bit to verse 24 of chapter 12, where we ended last week, said, but the word of God grew and multiplied. Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them, John, whose surname was Mark. One truth that we know in the way that God works is that God's word will spread. His word will spread. And as it spread, you know, it says in verse 24, but the word of God grew, it grew, it grew deeper in God's people. The words of of verse 24 kind of become monotonous, really. And in one sense, when you were going through Acts, it's almost as if we're having the same sermon over and over and over and over again. And it's really just trying to figure out how to say the same thing a different way. Because this keeps coming up, doesn't it? This pattern keeps coming up. We've seen it in Acts chapter 2 in verse 47 in Acts chapter 4 and in Acts chapter 5 and then in Acts chapter 6 and Acts 7 and 8, everywhere. This same thing. The word of God grew and multiplied. People were added to the church. The word of God grew, multiplied, and people were added to the church. And it just keeps going and going. And every few, uh, few chapters... Luke puts it in again, say, look, because of what happened here, the gospel grew. Because of what happened here, the church grew. Because of what happened here, it grew. And it just gets, you know, in a sense, just it's repetitive. The same thing keeps coming on and on. The gospel is preached, God works, people get saved, the church grows, repeat. And so it goes. If there is anything that we can learn from the events, and what takes place in Acts, it's that the word of God is powerful. We learn anything from Acts. It certainly can be that, that the word of God is powerful. The word just keeps growing without bounds. We seem to reach one area, and, and one thing comes in the way. It just grows again, and then God pushes it, and it grows further, and it's influence. because I, I love how yeah he, he talks about how God added to the church, but more often than not, when he's talking about the spread of the gospel and how it moves out, he talks about how it multiplied. It multiplied. It's influence, the influence of the, the gospel, the influence of the word of God multiplies exponentially as God moves and works in the lives of his people. God's people are learning God's word. They're taking it in They're, they're obeying it. And this is one thing we see in that pattern as we go along is that as the people learn God's word, they obey God's word and that moves them to the next part of their life. Despite all types of opposition, God's people grow stronger and they feed on God's word. It grows deeper in God's people. As the word of God spreads, not only does it grow deeper in God's people, it grows further in the world. Growth isn't just internal. God is not just growing a small inbuilt community. And that growth only happens in there. You know, we're, we're not, we're not called. And the church here isn't the, the churches and, and the, the gospel isn't growing through the world by having babies. you know, so it's not that the church of Antioch is, is growing because They've got a whole bunch of young people and they keep having children. And so the church grows and go, wow, the church is growing. It's just family growth. The church isn't growing in Antioch because Christians are moving from this church to that church, to this church, to that church, to this church. That's not how it's growing either. The church is growing because as the people of God are letting the word of God grow in them, the word of God is growing out from them. New people are being reached. New families are being reached. New lives are being changed. As the roots grow deeper in God's people, the branches spread further in the world. God is keeping his promise. God promised that when his word went out, it would produce fruit. It would do what he wanted it to accomplish. God's word is powerful. It makes him known who he truly is it reveals who he is and what he expects and why he expects it the word of god teaches us how to respond to that expectation of this god in repentance and faith word of god gives us life it is the bread of life it is the living water god's word does make a difference in this world the gospel must be spoken so the God's word will spread but it must be spoken in verse 25 it says in Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem and when they had fulfilled their ministry they also took with them John whose surname was Mark the gospel is it's carried by our lives so what happens there remember we saw at the 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 end of of, I think chapter 11 where the the church in Jerusalem is in trouble in famine. And so Antioch sends uh, some supplies and some love and some money down to Jerusalem by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. They're carrying that love, that concern, that charity with them. When we talk about the, the, the word of God and God's word spreading and the gospel spreading through the world, it doesn't happen some mysterious and mystical way. It doesn't just happen that one day somebody in the, the jungles of, of, of Borneo go, ah, I know. And then it grows from there. It doesn't just spontaneously, miraculously, mysteriously just appear in places around the world. Contrary to what's said of Emperor Constantine, the, the, the word of God doesn't appear in the sky written in the clouds. It doesn't happen like that. It's carried by the lives Christians. That's how the gospel reaches the world. It's carried by our lives, like Stephen in his martyrdom, like Philip when he travels to Samaria, like Peter when he goes to uh, Cornelius, like Barnabas and Saul, as they carry this gift of love to Jerusalem. The gospel is living in the lives of God's people. God's word is carried in this world as it's lived out in God's people. That's how the gospel moves. We carry it with us as we live in faith. We carry it with us as we show hope and love in this world. It's carried with us as we exercise care and compassion towards people and express the love of God. It's carried with us as our lives reveal the truth of God's word, as our lives start to come into balance, like Paul says in Ephesians four, where what's happened inside of us starts to show on the outside. It's carried that way. God's word and God's people are inseparably linked. God's word is working deep within us. We carry it with us and it comes out of us so that the world can see the word of God. But while it is carried by our lives, It is expressed by our words. If we skip forward a little bit in our text, so we we know what happens here because we've read it. The church at Antioch gets Saul and Barnabas and they send them out into the world and they go out and it tells us what Saul and Barnabas did when they were sent out. And it says in verse five, and when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God. The gospel is carried by our lives. That is, it's lived out as we show the love and hope and faith in God, but it's expressed by our words. The life-changing effect of God's word doesn't simply happen because we live lives differently, because we look different. Verse five there, when it says what they did when they went out, it doesn't say that they set up aid stations or education facilities, or training centers. And while all of those things are good things, and in fact, Christianity has had a remarkable impact in all of those things throughout history because of our love for the world, they preach the gospel. We have a a history, Christianity, of being at the forefront of of charity and medicine and care for the poor and and orphans and and, all of these things Christians have an influence in. But all of those things on their own are not
0: God's work. If the gospel is not
1: spoken, they are powerless events. We serve the temporal needs of people without meeting the eternal needs. We need to carry God's word in the world in love and speak God's word with our mouths. There's a popular quote which often goes around and you see it all plays on coffee cups and mugs and the internet all over and it's attributed to, to a, a, a Catholic a, a monk, Francis of Assisi. And it goes something like this, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. One truth is he never said it, so it's attributed to him and it spread through the world as if it was, but he never said it. We have no indication that he ever said it. The other thing is it's just not biblical. Preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. It's always necessary to use words. People are not going to understand their need for, sin, for salvation from sin because we give them food. They need to know more. We must always use words. Our lives and our
0: words must go into the world together. Our words are powerless if we're not
1: going into the world with love. And our love is powerless if we're not going into the world with our words. They must go together.
0: The gospel will go forth.
1: So we are called to go with the gospel. God's word spreads. But the question is, how does God's word spread through the world? How does this happen? How do we get people to go from where they are to the the world and have the gospel spread. I think we see just a couple of things, and there's a lot we could glean from this, but we'll take just a couple of thoughts here. Verse 1 of chapter 13 puts us in the context of what is taking place here and how this great shift in the church happens. It says, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaim, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. These are some pretty impressive men here. Of course, we know Barnabas and Saul. Uh, Manaim, who is brought up with Herod, literally means a like a stepbrother. So he had a very intimate relationship, and this is the Herod who we just saw die previously. So he had a, a place of, of influence. Um, Simeon some suggest that this is the Simon who carried Jesus cross we don't know that for certain it's a a suggestion but these are uh, strong and influential people the first thing we see here about how to go with the gospel is to serve God's purpose God's people and God's churches need to serve God's purpose it says in verse 2 as they ministered to the Lord as they ministered. So these these men in this church were there and they were ministering to one another. They were serving God. Here we're reintroduced to this church at Antioch having shifted from Jerusalem. Now what follows in Acts is a result of what happens here in Antioch. So everything that follows in Acts, all these missionary journeys, everything that happens about the gospel reaching the world, it all starts right there. The churches that start in in Ephesus and and throughout Asia Minor and and over to to Corinth and and beyond and into Asia, that that, that spread of the gospel begins here, right here. This is that watershed moment. This is the moment everything changes. Things become different. But what happens? So this great change, this gospel, which now spreads through the world and and finds its, its feet in its place all over the world reaching as far to Rome and and beyond it starts here because a church is doing something already these men and these church and and this church are already serving God they are ministering there they are serving they are meeting the needs of people they are preaching the gospel they are teaching God's word to one another and encouraging one another They are actively serving God. They weren't waiting around for God to do something or for some great work to happen. They weren't just having prayer meetings and saying, God, do something. God reached the world with the gospel. They were teaching one another. They were reaching out to their community. They were serving God. They were doing something. Actively serving God, ministering to one another be living for God, be making disciples. We don't know much about these five men apart from Barnabas and Saul. We do know that they were teaching God's word. It says that they, amongst this group, They were prophets and teachers. It's probable the idea of a prophet has the more spontaneous notes to it and the teachers are more structured guidance, taking scrolls and, and teaching through that more in a more structured way but these men were actively helping and involved in growing the faith of others, ministering to others from what we know of Saul and Barnabas, it it would have not just included teaching, but also actively involved in their lives. You know, Barnabas was an encourager and an uplifter and, and you know, it lived it out. Antioch was a church where God's word was truly living it was active, it was alive, it was, it was thriving, it was growing, it was vibrant as they served God and ministered to God. We go forth with the gospel as we serve God's purpose and as we seek God's will. It says, as they ministered to the Lord in verse 2 and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work of which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Be following God. The work that was going on in Antioch wasn't just nonstop activity. It says they served the Lord, but it wasn't just all busyness. This wasn't a church that filled every free moment with programs. I remember when I first started as a youth pastor, I remember a dad coming to me and we had stuff going on and we were doing things and a dad came to me and, and he said, uh, your, his, his daughter was in the, the youth group and he says, um, we didn't have enough things. We need, we need more things. We need more events. We need more activities. And I said, well, we're doing stuff. He says, no, they've got to be kept busy. And that's not what was happening at Antioch. This wasn't just the leadership of the church going, no, we've got to keep them busy, so let's just keep serving and let's have a whole bunch of stuff going on just to keep busy. It says they ministered to the Lord and
0: fasted and prayed.
1: Growing faith isn't always about activity. These leaders and this church We're praying people. It reminds me of Acts chapter 6 and verse 2, where the apostles say, look, we, we can't keep serving tables. We need to pray and teach God's word. The work we do for God, the teaching and the learning of God's word needs to be done with prayer. A combination of God's word and prayer are how we follow God's ways. Jesus taught us to pray for God's will to be done in what we know as the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, verse 10. He told us that we seek God's will in prayer. When we seek God's word in prayer, he will answer in power. Prayer is not wasted time. Just because we're not actively doing something, but rather stopping and spending time in prayer, doesn't mean that we're wasting time, which could be done doing something else more productive. Prayer is energizing God's people for God's work. So be relying on God. Joined with prayer, as I said, is fasting. They are praying and they are fasting. And throughout scripture, the two often go together. Fasting is an outward expression of an inward dependence. Typically, it's to go without food for a set period of time, short or or long but the idea of fasting is an outward expression that is I am going to not eat as a way of of showing or reminding myself that I depend on God for his sustenance for his supply prayer and fasting show this reliance on God Antioch wasn't relying on their cunning or their celebrity having Saul there this great teacher who'd come through things or Barnabas who was so well known as an encourager or the the gimmicks. You've been listening to a a podcast this week about the fall of of a very large church. And one of the things they talk about is is the branding. This church grew rapidly and, and very, very large throughout not just their area, but through The world because they learned how to brand themselves in a developing digital age got videos out and got podcasts out and for a long time for for a significant period of time it was the the top podcast on apple Apple Podcasts, beating out oprah and so many others he was at at the the top then the whole thing horribly imploded just it was a disaster The, the the church exploded all the, all the branding and, and all the, the gimmicks and all of that didn't, didn't make a difference because while they were so busy and while they were doing that, nobody was praying. Nobody was seeking God. Antioch recognized that God must do the work. They needed God in their ministry. So here is the, the oxymoron, if you will, about Christian ministry. Be moving and be still. This is the Christian life. Be moving and be still. It seems like these two are opposing things here. Serving, activity, ministry, and stillness, prayer, and fasting. But the power of God is found in the balance of the two. In the balance of serving and seeking. If all we do is serve, we run out of energy and we lose direction. If all we do is sit still, God's work doesn't get done. We need the stillness to be able to do the serving. You know, I'm trying to get back into my trumpet practice. And one of the things I'm learning uh, as, uh, and reminding myself of as they tell you when you practice, and this is the same with, with exercise, it's the same with a lot of things, actually. The whole This whole balance is is key to a lot of different things, including exercise. But when you're in your practice, you should rest as much as you play. So if I play for five minutes, you rest for five minutes, play for five minutes, rest for five minutes. They do the same in exercise. Do your weights, rest. Do your weights, rest. Why? Because when you're practicing, particularly with the trumpet, if you keep playing the, the trumpet and you just keep playing and playing and playing, your lips and all your muscles get tired and sore and then you don't play well. But if you play and you rest, and you play and you rest, you build up stamina, you build up strength, and you play better. This is the Christian life. Serve, rest, serve, rest, serve, rest. On their own, neither are helpful, but together they make us stronger. So... In spreading the gospel, we serve God's purpose. We seek God's will. And finally, we send God's people. Be obedient, says verse in verse three, then having fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Send God's people, be obedient. We don't know exactly how the spirit made this known. Perhaps it was through one of the prophets that God communicated this to the church when he said, take Barnabas and Saul and send them. However, it was that God communicated to the church, they followed that instruction and they believed it and they followed it and they obeyed it. Now, it wouldn't be easy news for the church to hear. Can you imagine if we had someone of the caliber of Paul and Barnabas at work serving here and then all of a sudden say, God is calling us somewhere else and go, no, stay, stay. We need you here. You're the best we've got. Don't go, stay. And in this modern society, we probably would have figured out how to do that. Look, we can send a podcast out. We can, we can live stream what you do. We can have conferences and people can come here and Barnabas can teach about how to serve. And, and Paul, you can do theology conferences for us and, and you know, do missions trips and come back. And we can do that, but don't leave. So this wasn't an easy thing for the church at Antioch to hear. God says to him, the two best you've got, Send them away. There's work to be done. When God calls a person to service, it can be hard. I've seen in in my years in Christianity, I've seen good Christian parents actively discourage their children from following God's call into ministry because they're afraid of what that meant. But when a church is wholly seeking God's will, the decision is easy. We'll go. I've seen that in my own family. We moved here to Australia. I, I grew up not knowing my grandparents, and my grandparents don't, didn't really know me. But when my father told his dad, said, "We're being called, "I feel I need to go overseas with the gospel," my grandfather said, "Go,
0: because that's what we raised you for." And he knew what
1: it meant. We didn't get to see him. That's what it is to serve God. It's hard sometimes, but if we're going to seek God in prayer and fasting, we must be willing to follow where he leads
0: and be committed. The church expresses
1: its dependence on God as they move to obey. They fast and pray over this. Then it says they laid on hands and the laying on of hands isn't about giving power. So it's not about uh, about giving them some special power or authority. The laying on of hands is about recognizing God's call and about committing ourselves to fellowship in that mission of God. It is saying to those, to Paul and Barnabas here, as they put their hands on it, that we are behind you, that we recognize this is the work of God in your life. Antioch was committing themselves to serve Barnabas and Saul as they served God we're not called to send people out with a bag of money good wishes and prayers we're called to send people on a mission to God with a fellowship and the support and strength behind them be committed but it also means to be prepared for change this is a big change for the church what church wants to lose two of their best this is what we serve for, to send our best into the world. The Christian life is about change. We're called to travel lightly in this world. Not to settle, not to be tied, but to be ready to follow God. God's call doesn't just come to the young either. It comes to us at any age, any place at any time so go and rejoice with the gospel what happens when we go with the gospel so God calls the gospel is going to go out the church recognizes God's call they send Barnabas and Paul and we see the great missionary journeys of Paul begin it begins as they go to Cyprus and the first thing that we see as they go out the first event that happens as they go out is we see Satan will oppose. When we go out to serve God's word and carry the gospel into the world, whether it be abroad or in our own community, Satan will oppose. They come to Cyprus. They set out in ways they know. They're not blindly jumping into the unknown. I think they made a wise decision here. They leave and they go to Cyprus. Why Cyprus? Because Barnabas is from Cyprus. He knows the place. He knows the culture. He knows the people. When they get to Cyprus, where do they go? They go into the synagogues of the Jews why because they will have an open welcome there because they're jews it's an opportunity so they're going and beginning where they're familiar say all right we're not just going to go willy-nilly just doing whatever here's an opportunity we can start we can go here to cyprus it needs the gospel i know the place we have places where we can start and they start ministering there but this work of god begins with difficulty they're faced with a false teacher named barjesus or Alimus, by Jesus, um, ironically means son of Jesus. Jesus was a common name in the time, uh, so it wasn't unusual. But he's named by Jesus, or Alimus, or sorcerer, it's translated as in others. But God will advance his kingdom, and he'll multiply his word, but it doesn't happen without opposition. There is going to be opposition. Serving Christ and, and sharing the gospel is never going to be easy. And here, Bar-Jesus opposes them and causes problems. He has been deceiving the proconsul there, the Roman uh, governor, Sergius Paulus, lying and covering things up. We live in a world which is deceived by Satan's lies. But not only, like verse six, we see, now when they had gone through the island of Papos, they found a certain um, sorcerer, a false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus. So he's a false prophet. So he's deceiving people there as as he does. But it gets worse than that. It's not just about him trying to deceive people so that they won't believe Barnabas and Saul when they come or that they'll follow something else or give him money. But look in verse eight, it gets worse. But Elimus, the sorcerer, so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Right? So now he's not just going, no, well, look, they say that, but, but this is true and, and trying to, to mix and just deceive. But now as they're sharing the gospel, he is actually saying that don't believe them. He is actively trying to turn this man from seeing Jesus Christ as savior. Satan doesn't just stop by deceiving. He is actually trying to destroy lives. At times we're going to face Direct opposition like this. I mean, this, this type of thing doesn't happen often, right? And it's not often we're going to have to respond like Paul did. But this type of interference sends people to hell. This type of turning people from the faith has eternal consequences. And so Paul looks at him in verse 10 oh, full of all deceit and all fraud. And in a very sort of sarcastic, Pauline way, says, you son of the devil, right? He goes by the name Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus. And he flips and says, you're no son of Jesus. You're the son of the devil. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? Now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. You know, Satan is going to oppose and he's deceiving people and he's trying to destroy lives. So when we go out with the gospel, we need to be prepared to defend the gospel, to defend the word of God. Barnabas and Saul respond appropriately. This type of response wouldn't go down well in our society today, but it's what is sometimes needed probably not often why does Paul speak so strongly here why does he stand up like this and and say such hard words because right now Elimus this son of of Jesus is trying to attempt to oppose the work of God not just distract not just deceive but actually stop the work of God this is the work of the devil In proclaiming the gospel, we must also be prepared to protect it and defend it and not allow people to destroy the lives of those as they seek God. But through all this, even though there is opposition and we see this opposition that Satan opposes, sinners will be saved. When we go out with the gospel, Satan will oppose, but sinners will be saved. Verse seven introduces to us this Sergius Paulus, this intelligent Roman proconsul. And verse 12 tells us what happens as a result. Then the proconsul believed. When he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The gospel broke through. The gospel triumphed over the deceit and the devastation of Satan. And this man sees his need for Jesus. The light of the gospel shines in the darkness and lives are changed when we go out and we're prepared to stand against the evil and proclaim the truth lives are changed historians note that sergius paulus's daughter
0: was a christian and her son was
1: a christian lives changed Families changed. So Paul went out and Barnabas went out to reach with the gospel. Everything is worth it. The changes, the uncertainty, the opposition, the trouble that comes when God calls us to serve him, it's all worth it because God is using us to change lives. So let your light shine. This is a place of transition in Acts. So it's one of the great transitions in the advance of the gospel where the gospel moved from being reactionary to intentional. It's no longer about responding to persecution, but about advancing the gospel in hostile territory. Every church is a kingdom outpost. It is a place where the people of God can find security in the midst of opposition but it is also a place to launch an offensive further into the territories of the enemy. Our mission is to spread the gospel in the world, to make disciples of every nation. In the process, some of us, perhaps the best of us, will be called to other places other things others will need to stay to pray to support and to encourage but every one of us are called to be part of the mission we must be missionaries and we must raise up missionaries within our midst so let's be a people who are both active and still people who will follow our Lord on his mission. Let's pray.
0: Our Heavenly Father, we pray as we are gathered here this morning that you would do here according to your will.
1: That you would work the gospel, the word of God, deep within our lives. That it would change us and who we are, and that as it changes us, we would carry that in our lives into this world. And as we carry the gospel with us, that it would
0: come from our mouths to reach those who need to know. Dear God, make us missionaries, missionaries to our neighbors,
1: missionaries to our neighborhood, missionaries to our city. Dear God, raise up from amongst us Pastors, evangelists, missionaries, servants of God who will reach the world with the gospel.
0: Lord, help us
1: to be still, to learn, to grow, to recognize our dependence on you, and then in that stillness find the power to serve. Thank you, and we praise you
0: in Jesus' name. Amen.